So uh, this morning, I've titled this message, uh, Christ, Our Everything. And uh, we're going to be in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is probably, well, it's one of my two favorite books of the Bible, Hebrews and Romans. We're going to be at the end of Hebrews in chapter 13. And, um, you know, as you look through the Bible, there's tons of passages about giving thanks. There's tons of passages that say things like, you know, give thanks in all things, give thanks for everything. Um, and, and, you know, there's, some, there's something to that. I mean, the fact that, um, you know, we talked about last week about the prosperity gospel, how the prosperity gospel gave us a, a hollow promise, a promise that, uh, you know, if we just believe hard enough, we would be wealthy, or if we just believe hard enough, we would always be healthy. And we saw the holes in that. I mean, the scriptural holes that are so easily shot in, a, in an idea like that. And, um, you know, really the alternative is to believe a simple truth that, you know, in all things, whether it's prosperity or poverty, whether it's um, in sickness or in health, uh, we've got a ton to be thankful for in Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit more about that. We're going to look at the theme of Christ being our everything. So in chapter 13 of Hebrews, we begin, um, he says, let love of the brethren continue. I love how this chapter opens because I mean this could be this could be a message in and of itself, right? I mean, this verse alone could guide us for a lifetime and then some. So let is the first word. And uh this word let comes up all over the Bible. It's not a legalistic word. Um it's it's a beautiful word because what it's basically saying is God has rigged everything. I mean, God has set everything up he has poured out his love in your heart. Um, he's sealed that love inside of you in the person of Christ. And so then our job is to wake up Monday morning and just let. Now, that's not trying to crank out love and human effort. It's letting. So how can we just let? Well, we can only let if God has already gone about the business of preparing everything in advance. So God, God has prepared you to be a lover a lover of people. God has rigged it so that you've got something inscribed on your heart and you can't get away from it. This is what helps us in marriage. It's what helps us in friendships. It's what helps us with other humans when they mistreat us. There's something etched on the lining of your heart. If you have received Christ, then Christ did something inside of you. He did a work. And what he did was he, he etched on the lining of your heart, he etched his desires. And one of the biggies is that we love each other. So he's saying, let this love kind of, it makes me think of the word ooze. Let this love just sort of flow. Let it ooze out of you. Let Jesus Christ who is in you come out. Work out what has already been worked in. And so he says, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I guess I thought, you know, the ultimate in Christian experience, you, you know, some of, some of you know my story. I mean, I thought the ultimate in Christian experience was things like, um, you know, witnessing um, you know, I, I sat across in, in Starbucks, I sat across from a guy who was uh, witnessing. He was sharing his faith with someone else. And that's a wonderful thing. That's great. 
but he, he was very trained. I mean, he had a regiment, he had an outline, and uh, he had certain steps and questions he was to ask, and he led people through it. Um, and then you could just tell that he was extremely polished with a certain kind of delivery that he was very, very good at. And it kind of reminded me, you know, at 42 years old, I sat back and watched this, you know, 19 or 20 year old guy uh, do this, and it reminded me of me. It reminded me of how, um, you know, adamant I was about steering a conversation towards spiritual matters all the time. It, it reminded me of how I thought that the ultimate in Christian experience would be to persuade someone to believe like me. And of course, I mean, there's a natural place for sharing our faith, and God's going to inspire us to do that. And when he does, it's not going to feel like a pressure or an obligation. It's not going to feel like a guilt thing or a have to. It's going to feel like a want to. But what I love about this passage is that, you know, he's starting to bring up things that, um, that are so very everyday and so very human, uh, things like love and hospitality. Did you notice that the fruit of the Spirit is not mission work? That the fruit of the Spirit is not witnessing? That the fruit of the Spirit is not church attendance? That the fruit of the Spirit is not Bible study for seven hours a week? That the fruit of the Spirit is things that are human and everyday? And I love that because what it means is it's compatible with people like us. It's compatible with regular, ordinary people. That what God is working in and what God wants to work out um, is for every second of every day. There's no place where love doesn't fit. There's no place where hospitality is not as good as being inhospitable. There's no place... Uh, for, for, for such a thing. And so the fruit of the Spirit, we begin to see that what God is working out fits with your life. It fits perfectly with your life. And here we see, you know, don't um, neglect hospitality. Um, I was out on a highway in the middle of February in, um, in Illinois. And I was going about maybe 40 miles an hour, and it was um, it, the surface was what you would call black ice. Are you familiar with black ice? Black ice is like, it looks like pavement, but it's a, it's a thin layer of ice, and it is solid, and it is the most slippery surface you could possibly drive on. And so there were about eight of us on this highway that I could see. I mean, there were not many who were out, but I really needed to make this trip. And so... At 25 years old or so, I was driving across um, Illinois, and uh, my car did um, a 360 in the middle of the highway, a full 360, not a 180 where you just kind of hit the side of the road and stop, but I mean, while I was traveling at 40 or 50, it was spinning in the middle of the road, uh, a full 360, and then I ended up down in the median, um, you know, about 10 or 15 feet below in a, in a ditch uh, in the snow. And so uh, when I figured out what had happened and uh, got out and surveyed the situation, got back in my car, started it up and tried to go, there was no way I was getting out of there. And, and the weather, it was probably about 15 or 20 below zero with wind chill. And there was no one, I mean, no one uh, around. The cars uh, were in front of me and I didn't see anyone behind me. And I was down lower than the highway so some of the people, as they did eventually come, they couldn't really see me. Um, but the weirdest thing, I, I sat in the car, and um, I didn't know what to do. And suddenly, I heard uh, somebody working at the back of my vehicle. <laughs> somebody working at the back of my vehicle. 
uh, and they had uh, a long board and they had put it under my tire and they were banging on my hood telling me to go and they were doing this number. And uh, I got out and got to the side of the road, got out of the car to go thank them and boom, they were gone and they were nowhere to be found. Now, I don't know what that was. We don't make a big deal out of out of, um, you know, incredible things that happen to us because you just you just don't know. I mean, you, you don't know what to ascribe that to. But I'm thankful no matter what it was, no matter who it was. I'm thankful to God that I got out of that mess. But that guy showed me hospitality, whoever he was. He showed me hospitality and I'll never forget it. Here I am almost 20 years later talking about that. People don't forget when they're loved. People don't forget when you put them above yourself. Uh, people don't forget when you express Christ to them. And so we think these things are small, but in the kingdom of God, they're big. They're really, really big. So he says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who were ill-treated since you yourself also are in the body. Uh, we were talking yesterday, me and a friend were talking about uh, prison life and how people are so often mistreated um, in prison. Yeah, they did something to get there. Uh, they did something, you know, illegal to get there. But once they're in there, I mean, the, the treatment can sometimes be so poor. And, um, you know, Stephen Bailey, some of you, many of you, maybe most of you know Stephen Bailey. I mean, he, he every week he goes into the jail here. Uh, nearby, and yesterday I got to go into Montford Prison, which is a few miles away, and talk to some guys. But Stephen has been doing this for years right here in Texas, and, and this is what this is what's on Paul's heart. I mean, I, I love this. So far, he said, uh, "Let love come out of you. Uh, show hospitality to people you don't even know. Oh, and the people who've committed heinous crimes, uh, go visit them." And, um, you know, care for them. So what you're seeing is the heart and the compassion of Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to go out this week and do those three things. Boom, 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 like a checklist, like a religious legalistic uh, list that you would check things off. But what you're seeing is the face of Jesus. You're seeing the character of Christ in these passages. And so he says, um, since you yourselves are also in the body, in other words, you can be sympathetic. I mean, you know what it's like to suffer. You know what it's like to go through hard times. Imagine be tra being trapped in an eight-foot-by-eight-foot eight room for years on end. So uh, remember them. Then he goes to marriage, and he says marriage is to be held in honor. Uh, marriage is not to be taken lightly. Like, it's a big deal. It's so respectful because it's a beautiful picture of Christ and the church. And he says, And the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. This doesn't mean that God will judge Christians for their sins. It's really important to understand that I'm, we don't want to take a verse like this and go quiver in the corner about something you've done. Many people in this room have committed adultery. Uh, many people in this room have done such things, right? Um, even as believers. So a verse like this does not take away, it does not take away the finished work of Christ. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid in full for your sins. You, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are a forgiven person and your sins are forgiven and forgotten. But what this passage is saying is, don't, don't act like the world. 
Because, I mean, God's going to judge the world for doing such things. Revelation 20, you know, uh, their, their deeds are brought up and they're judged for their deeds. I mean, the world will be judged for these things, but we are the church. So don't act like the world if you're, if you're the church. You could do that. And it doesn't change the finished work of Christ. You cannot out the blood of Jesus. You cannot exhaust the grace of God. Jesus already saw all of your sins, past, present, and future. When he died, all of your sins were in the future. He saw them, and he paid for them in full. You're a forgiven person. But don't live like the world. It makes no sense, and God is going to judge them. But Jesus himself said, He who believes in me is not judged. So we see in verse uh, verse 4 this differentiation between us and the world. And then we jump into Christ, our helper. Um, one of the first things we see in this passage is the role of Christ as uh, helper. And he says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Remember, we talked about the, uh, the prosperity gospel last week. I mean, does this sound like the prosperity gospel to you? We looked at a few passages last week. Here's a new one. Does it sound like uh, become a Christian and get rich? Become a Christian and be wealthy? Become a Christian and it'll all be good? Uh, No, he's saying be content with whatever you have. So uh, Jesus doesn't swoop down into our lives and change our socioeconomic status. Did you notice that Jesus did not swoop down and change the government of Rome? Jesus did not swoop down and, and keep uh, Christians from being oppressed. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's very interesting today that 2,000 years later, west of the Atlantic, thousands of miles away from Israel here, we in America, we, we concoct a modern-day American gospel that's got a little bit of the American dream thrown in, and you stir it all up, and its promises of prosperity and and health and those wonderful things. But really, I mean, apart from miracles, apart from some radical works of God where God does do some healings, I mean, basically, uh, he's told us that our promises are spiritual, that our help is spiritual, that Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, is our contentment in any circumstance. And so... You know, we either, we either begin to get to know Jesus no matter what, or we flirt with the tantalizing distraction. And that's what the health wealth thing really can be, is a tantalizing distraction. Give it about a year to ten years, experiment with it. You come out on the other side with your status not changed, and, um, and people then hit the door and they say, where was God? Where was God? And this is where God is. God is in the moment saying, I want to show you contentment in the moment. And he, he noticed that uh, there's a reason for the contentment. Did you see the reason in this verse? There's a reason here for the contentment, and it's the presence of God. So get this now. God's presence is the prosperity. God's presence is the prosperity. You are so rich in his presence You are so wealthy with his presence. So what he's saying is, I've given you everything that you need. I'm not, you know, I was uh, I was talking to somebody recently who, um, you know, was going through some stuff and they kind of felt like, you know, I've been 
I've been praying and I've been praying and I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God. And it kind of gave me the impression that they were, you know, they were firing up the long distance phone calls and they were kind of bouncing off of heaven's floor. Right. You ever feel like that? So we began to talk about uh, where where is God? You know, where is God right now? Well, one answer, one correct answer is God is in heaven. Another correct answer might be God is everywhere. But the most important answer for you is Christ is in me. Christ is in me and his presence in me is my prosperity. And so the fact that, you know, I, I don't I don't know how to be a good husband many times. I don't know how to be a good father. So what do I do? I turn to his presence in me. I could I could fire up uh, prayers to heaven and hope for some booming voice to come down but I might be waiting a really long time. What I need to know is that he has inscribed his desires on my heart. And so I don't look up, I look in. Because Christ is in you and this is your hope. So it's interesting how many Christians, you know, when we're, you know, two feet tall, we invite Jesus Christ into our hearts and then we spend the rest of our adult lives talking to God as if he's far off up in heaven. I thought you said you invited him in, not up. Yeah, he's up and he's all around, but he's in. So have you been looking in to the center of your being, to the core of your human spirit, where Christ lives and says he's written his desires there? So he says the reason to be content is because I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Wow. The presence of God. Verse 6, he says, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You know, some of us were afraid of, um, we're afraid of people. I mean, we're, we're afraid of being bullied. I remember when I was a kid, I, t- I told Gavin this story recently, and he's like, are you serious? And then I realized, I got to watch what, what stories I, I tell Gavin. But uh, when I was in fourth grade, man, there, there was a guy that he, he wanted to beat me up. I mean, uh, he wanted to fight me after school. And he said, I'm going to meet you, Farley, in the back of the school. And uh, I'm, I'm going to let you know what's what. And I'm in fourth grade, and I'm scared. I'm scared. So I did what any kid would do. I skipped lunch that day, and I used my uh, lunch money to hire a bodyguard. <laughs> yeah. And so I sure enough, I showed up for that fight, but I, I sat back and uh, I let my buddy, he was two or three uh, grades above me. I didn't really know him, but he was willing to be employed. Uh, I let him take care of business and that that fight actually really never happened. Uh, the other guy strangely backed down. Uh, he was intimidated uh, by my power. Uh, <laughs> But man, uh, what will man do to me? That is a big question, isn't it? And I was scared out of my wits. And ultimately, the answer was to have somebody else take care of business for me. And, uh, you know, this is, this is kind of what this passage is really saying. I mean, first of all, um, you've got the Lord who is your, is your guard. He is your protector. He is your everything. But more than that... Um, you know, he, he's got your back and um, 
he, he's your satisfaction, and, and when you realize that um, he's your everything, then it's like, what can somebody on this planet possibly do to me um, that would take away, that would wreck what I have in Christ? And the answer is nothing. And that's an incredible thing. I mean, some people are scared to death of death. Um, in a strange way, we can anticipate death. I mean, are you not excited to see what is beyond this life? I'm thrilled about it. I'm excited. I mean, this life is awesome. And to, to live this life with Jesus is, is, is very, it's amazing. But wow, as believers, we can, we can be thrilled about what is beyond this. So what can man do to me? I mean, what can they take from me uh, that really matters on this level? And the answer is nothing. So the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? So when you're ridiculed, when you're mocked, when you're bullied, uh, we can use the love of God and really punch fear in the face, as a friend of mine likes to say. So next we see that Christ is our constant. Um, He says, remember those who led you. He's talking about your leaders. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. Notice that he doesn't say imitate their actions. A lot of leaders, we might try to uh, get people to imitate our actions. And a lot of sermons preached around the world are about imitate my actions. Be like me. You need to have the spiritual gifts that I have. You need to do what I'm doing. I'm helping people over here. You need to do this. This is what God is telling you to do. And so ultimately, uh, they're trying to breed clones, right? And what this passage is saying is that we don't imitate the actions of leaders, but we're imitating their dependency on Christ. We're imitating their faith. And that's why this can be so, so difficult. Um, difficult in the sense of it's, it's loose, it's freeform, it's organic. Uh, you can't control people. You can't control the church. God runs the universe. God is, um, is the church's husband. And so... You see, the idea here is that you get to be you, and you get to be you, and you, this might be totally different than them, but you get to be you. And so what is God working in, and what is God working out of you? And the answer is, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know. I can't tell you the first thing to do except uh, have faith in Christ, trust Jesus, and let him work out whatever he's already worked in. So imitate their faith, looking at the result of their conduct, but you've got to go back to the source and imitate their dependency on Jesus. And then he says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is kind of like in mathematics. You know, you have a constant. Jesus is your constant. A constant is, is like a, a fixed number. So he's saying, uh, you know, look at Jesus in the Old Testament. Look who he is. Not the law. Man, the law kills. Don't look at the law. The law kills. 613 regulations. It is strict. It'll kill you. But now look at Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, the promise of faith given to Abraham. And then look at Jesus in the New Testament. But that's 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's been a long time. Look at Jesus today. And what he's saying is it's the same Jesus throughout. So don't be tricked by some new trendy thing that comes your way. You've got to be fixated 
on the fixed number, fixated on the constant, fixated on the fixed one. And so it's like it's like another passage in Hebrews where he says we have this hope as an anchor. I think of being anchored to Christ and you're you're a boat and man, you can be tossed by every wind and wave of idea that comes your way. Oh, look at this wave. Wow. Impressive, trendy, grabbing a lot of attention. And we're supposed to just let that go on by and be anchored to Jesus Christ. Oh, look at this wave. Man, it sounds so right. The prosperity wave, the health wave, the, the wealth wave. It all sounds so right and so amazing. And people are raving about it. And you're supposed to just stay anchored to Jesus plus nothing. And so he's saying that Jesus is the same. Don't be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods. What's he talking about there? Foods. I mean, what is he even referring to? He's talking about temple practices. Remember that he's writing Jewish people, and they have temple practices that involve foods. So he's saying, look, you don't need temple practices. You need grace. You know what people are saying today, 2,000 years later? You can find Protestant Christian churches who are saying we need to get back into the temple practices. They're saying that. You can find somebody in this town, churches, a few of them, in this town, you can find them all over the United States and beyond, Protestant Christian churches that are telling Gentile Christians that they need to get into the temple practices. Oh, no, no, no slaughtering of animals, but, you know, the feasts and the festivities in order to have a deeper, richer Christianity. And Paul... You know, the writer of Hebrews, whoever it may be, he, he, you know, whether it's Paul or some, someone else, the New Testament message is, man, the law is just a shadow. It's a shadow. The reality is Christ. So if you've got Christ, why are you looking at a shadow? You've got the reality. And so you'll notice that he says, what does grace do to you? Oh, we, we, can't, uh, we can't have too much grace, right? That's what the modern day, um, you know, Kickback, pushback to this message is, right? The modern day pushback is, uh, yeah, grace is a good thing, but in moderation. Grace is okay, but we need to balance it with law. And when we've got grace and law together, then we've got a good balanced message. Well, he's saying that grace is what strengthens you, not law. And the grace of God is what teaches us to live upright lives. So he says, uh, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. They were occupied, temple practice after temple practice, again and again, year after year. But all that stuff never took away a single sin, never made anybody perfect. And now you, for free, have been made perfect. And you, for free, have had all your sins forgiven and forgotten. So what in the world would you go back to that for? It makes no sense at all. Next, we see that Christ is our priest. We have an alt altar. Now, this is where the pass passage gets really good. I mean, um, you know, these next few verses are, are some of my favorites in the whole Bible. Um, it says here, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle, and that is the priests, they have no right to eat. So altar, what altar? Where's the altar? Did you notice we don't have an altar here? Some churches... Uh, say that they have altar calls, right? 
and they'll have an altar up front. Well, you know, that's Old Testament. Altar is for an animal to sit on. You put an animal on an altar and then you burn the animal up and then you do it again next year and you do it again next year. We don't have altars because the cross replaced the altar. It's finished. There are no more altar sacrifices. So it's a, it's a play on words. In a sense, we have a heavenly altar. We have the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying we've got something that those religious zealots can't touch. We've got something that the people who have spent millions of dollars to erect these incredible looking edifices and have everybody from the city, the most popular, it's the most popular mega church in Jerusalem, right? It's everything. It's the temple. And so they all come in and they practice such things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've got something they can't touch. And then he says, Watch this. This is where it gets so incredibly deep, so metaphorical and beautiful. Watch this. He says the bodies. Now, now this is dead carcasses. He's talking about dead carcasses of leftover burnt sacrifices. So guess what happens to them? After they're burned, their dead carcasses are dragged outside the city, right? And that is a dirty, smelly place. You do not want to be out there. So he says the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin. Those bodies are burned outside the camp. Right. And here it comes. Wait for it. Therefore, Jesus also. Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered where? Outside the gate where the dead animals were being burned, the dirty, smelly place, not the clean, expensive religious place, the dirty, smelly place. That's where the son of God was taken to be killed. And then he says, oh, man, look at this. Let us go out to him. Do you hear that call? Do you hear that call? Let us go out to him outside of organized religion, outside of legalism, outside of law, outside of the pretty religious place and go out to the place that is looked at as dirty, the desolate place. Let's go out to the place where dead animals were burned. Let's go out to the place where you would expect nothing. Jesus came from Nazareth, a place from which people would expect nothing. And Jesus in his death ended up in a place where you would expect nothing. And out of that dirty, smelly place outside the gate of religion came, came the most memorable event in human history. And we're invited out there. Are you mentally willing to abandon the ways of religious effort and go out to Jesus Christ outside the gate and bear his reproach? That means you're going to get criticized for it. You're going to be misunderstood. And so we see Jesus Christ as our lamb sacrificed outside the gate. Because here we do not have a lasting city. You think Jerusalem is a lasting city? No, no, we're seeking the city which is to come. Lastly, we see responding to Christ. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God 
That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. God, I just want to, man, I just want to live my life as a sacrifice. Right? We talk about all this sacrifice. Our sacrifices would be pathetic. I mean, you think about Paul, Peter, James, John, the people that came before us. You read the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament. I mean, those kind of like dedicated, committed uh, sacrifices of of religious um, performance. Man, compared to that, you look bad. You look really, really bad. You will never top those people. So we, we look pathetic in that sort of sacrifice. Apparently... The only sacrifice that really matters to God is that big wow, wow, God, whoa, and thank you. And the fruit of lips that give thanks to God, that's the sacrifice he wants. Not dead animal sacrifices, not big commitments and promises to God, but just looking at the promise that God made to us and going, wow, thank you. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. What is this? Don't neglect, let, work out what's been worked in. You see what he's saying here? Love, hospitality, sharing, doing good, letting Christ. But it's not about our promises to him or our big, big sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. What kind of, what kind of an account? Are we punished for our poor leadership? No, you're not punished for your sins. Jesus was punished for your sins. What kind of account is this? Well, some things are of flesh and some things are of the spirit. If people, I mean, th- you look at this verse all by itself, you talk about abuse. I mean, People all over the world throughout history have used this verse to abuse people. Obey your leaders. Submit to them. No matter what they say or no matter what they're about, no matter what their focus is, you submit. Right? And people have been deceived and abused. You talk about bullying. Religious bullying is the biggest kind of bullying there's ever been. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about people that are carefully, gently, and lovingly watching out for you. They are watching over your souls. They're making sure that you experience the richest and best freedom and forgiveness and life in Jesus. And so that's what he's talking about here. And giving an account, well, yeah, man, if you're leading in a bullying way, if you're leading in a fleshly way, that stuff is going to burn up. It won't last. But if you're depending on Jesus and letting love come out of you, those things last an eternity. Pray for us. We're sure that we have good conscience, desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. In other words, pray that I can see you. Gosh, I want to visit you. I want to hang out with you. I miss you. Pray that there'd be opportunity for me to hang out with you. And lastly... We see Christ our shepherd, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Do you see this? The last verse of the passage, he finishes out showing us the shepherd, Jesus Christ, and the covenant. The covenant is a blood covenant between God and God. God promised God. And so we have this blood covenant that's eternal and it lasts forever. And all we can do is wake up and say the wow and say the thank you and look to Jesus Christ as our shepherd. 
May he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Jesus Christ, our helper, our constant, our priest, and our shepherd, is your Christianity about Christ? You know, a lot of people are into Christianity as a movement. Is your Christianity about knowing the shepherd? He is your everything. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. Uh, We're grateful for who Jesus Christ is in us. It's not a long-distance phone call. You are in. We're in you and you are in us. We fail. We fail as wives. We fail as husbands. We fail as parents. We fail as friends. We don't know how to act. We're like dumb sheep sometimes. And we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. We need Jesus Christ as our everything. Father, we are grateful that we don't look up merely, but we look in. We thank you that Jesus Christ is our life. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Jesus Christ is our everything. In his name we pray. Amen. And it is not unusual. You know, we humans, we were not created to cope. We were created to contain We weren't created to cope, we were created to contain the life of Jesus Christ and to allow what's been worked in to work out. What if you were to give up on the idea of making life work? What if you were just to admit, I can't make life work, and instead, I'm going to allow someone else who is not me to live through me. That someone is Jesus Christ, and He is your everything.